Well, hello everyone and welcome once again to Wednesday Night Live. My name is Ron Crawford and I'm coming to you from the Father's Church in Dallas, Texas. It is uh, a very important time frame for our church here in Dallas as well as for uh, our Saints Network family. Um, and it's an important time for a number of reasons. One is that next week we will be convening here in Dallas for our fall, annual fall seminar this year entitled Rama. And um, people are mobilizing, people are definitely praying, um, and I am certainly believing that God is going to accomplish everything that he has ordained to accomplish among us as intercessors, as saints, during this very strategic time. We certainly hope that you will be part of that. We hope that many of you will be able to venture here, but um, this is not a, this is not I don't know what to say. We'll be live streaming, and we hope that people won't. And I know that there are times that people feel the Lord wants them to remain in their terio. I know that sometimes circumstances pop up. I'm not addressing those. But if it's just a, a normal um, idea that, oh, I don't need to go there. I can see everything on live stream. That's really not uh, a pneumaticos perspective. We need to be where God wants us to be. And there is there is really no substitute for uh, being in the place, in the timing that God has ordained. So we would hope that this live stream is of value to all of our saints' family around the world. And we would hope that this live stream will um, be of, of help to those who for one reason or another, aren't aren't able to come or feel that the Lord has uh, required them to remain in their terio. That's fine. But um, the point is that we will be live streaming. And um, I remember when we first were contemplating doing this, beaming it out live, there were two, there were two thoughts of deliberation. One was, do we really want to put out fresh meat into the marketplace because um, it could it could produce uh, challenging responses and some you know some purists I grew up in the church they'll think well if it's the word of God how could it be wrong well you know there are a lot of scriptures no, no how could it be wrong to let everybody hear it there are a lot of scriptures that talk about uh, being wise with what you've received and who strong meat really belongs to. Even as, even as a, a grandparent of a young child and a, a parent of children that are now grown, we recognize that there's just some things that younger children should not ingest. And the church is full of babies. So we have times where Jesus said, don't cast your meat, don't cast your precious things, pearls before swine. There are times where he took his disciples apart and spoke to them. And during the days between his resurrection and his ascension, there were a lot of things that Jesus spoke about that 
that the gospel writers did not write about. Wonder why that was. I always, it, just in my thinking as somebody who loves to study, I, I, I would love to have heard what Jesus taught them about the kingdom. Maybe it was a reiteration of what he had been teaching. Maybe it was pointing out the fulfillments of what he did. I'm sure those were parts, but I also know that there were other things that um, that undoubtedly were said that he said, don't write these. The angel warned Daniel, don't write these. Seal them. The angel warned John, seal this up. Don't write this. Um, there are there are many other illustrations of such safeguards put around things that babies or even the disinterested should not should not hear. Jesus said, "You know, there are many things that I'd like to say to you right now, but you're not ready for them." You remember that, or do you have that underlined in your scriptures? So we had that debate about whether we should put fresh meat out over the airwaves, and we thought that the um and then of course the enemy loves to receive the, the the mysteries that are being released to the church which Jesus the apostle Paul said would be in Ephesians to the intent now before principalities and powers God's revealing through his church the mysteries you know these scriptures maybe you haven't attached them to this connotation but this is the right connotation this is where it where it means uh, what it says. It always means what it says, but this is where an appropriate application would be. And um, and then, too, with that, the enemy loves to attack. The enemy comes in one way. The enemy, unclean spirits throughout the scripture, were always trying to appear when something fresh was happening to block momentum, to cause attempt to attempt to cause discouragement, to try to deter. We know this from the biblical record. So there was discussion of that, but we, as we prayed, and I was wholeheartedly leading this, that with all of those things uh, considered, we wanted to be able to facilitate the network family around the world or those who could not be at the, the the gathering, the feast gatherings here. And we've even begun to, um, to live stream certain seminars or gatherings that we have in other parts of the world so that if God does something that is unusual or if there's a fresh bit of revelation that brings forth, we want our home base. We want our uh, other other locations around the world to be abreast of that because so often when we go out in ministry um, we come back and report these are great things that happened but the actual tactical displays the actual ways that God's spirit moved it's hard to describe them and so um, we try to to broadcast that the other reason that we were a bit wary of doing it was that I know how people are. I know how I am. And if I think, you know, it's considerable expense, it's a break of my schedule, um, I really can benefit just as much by being here in my lazy boy watching what's going on, and I'll stay abreast of, of what's being taught. I understand that. But 
truly, and I don't go chasing after visitations. If there's something that's been granted to me as a point of responsibility or affiliation, I take that very seriously. And there's there's really no entire substitute for being where God says to be at the time God says you should be there. Now, again, you just tuned in or weren't listening earlier. Maybe you were brewing your Keurig and the machine didn't let you hear me. I am not faulting anybody who has a legitimate reason for not being in person. I'm not faulting that. But what I'm speaking to is those who immediately say, well, you know, I don't need to go. I don't, I don't need to go. I remember many years ago there were some Weisenheimers who said, oh, we don't need to go to Dallas. We already know all this. It's that, you know, why did Israel have to go three times a year, or they were supposed to go three times a year, to the Feast of Adonai to gather together? Don't forsake that. There was a reason for that. So it's, it's all about commitment. And I recognize that there are many people who are committed who cannot be here next week. There are many people who are committed to our calling as saints who have felt at the time that this, is, this seminar is affecting their terio that God is saying, be where they're supposed to be. I understand that, and I fully affirm that decision. But we felt um, we would go ahead and live stream anyway. So... All that being said, too, TMI, too much information, but we need to be candid. I need to, we need to let you know our thoughts uh, so that we're all in one accord on this. But those who can gather in person, we're expecting a marvelous visitation of the Spirit to hear and experience new things together, to discover new things in intercession before the throne. It's going to be a wonderful time. And that point of agreement asserting and affirming uh, a, a new touch point from which we're, we're going forward. Um, and we really encourage those of you who are going to be joining Livestream to take, to take it seriously. Not so much, oh, you've got to stick on every word that the speakers are saying. It's important to stay abreast of what, what is being revealed by a place that you have a direct affiliation with it. But, um, but God can visit you wherever you are. Uh, God, God has established a dwelling place for you, um, a, a point in your terio through the power of the cross in that histeme. And welcome those real-time visitations into the place where you are. And we certainly will do everything we can to fulfill what God has put as an obligation for us here in Dallas. And we are incorporating a number of our Saints Network family in points of necessary and valued ministry. This isn't just Dallas. It's the network. We'll be welcoming some really um, valued and loved representatives from other countries other other continents and we we hope to address their particular scenarios in this unique time so the first thing for us is this is a strategic time and a unique moment because 
of the seminar coming up. But it's also in the timetable of the Lord. We're poised on a place of sending forth that's, that's unprecedented in our history in the 30 years or so, close to 30 years, that we have been functioning as saints um, before the throne of the Lord. And we've seen over 30 nations impacted thus far, just boots on the ground. We have indication, I know from the past, that many other folks from other nations are um, regular partakers of what is put forward from here. I remember many, many years ago, there was an opportunity for us to to pay a little bit more and know who was tuning in from where. And it was fascinating to me that um, <laughs> there were a lot of people from Ukraine and Eastern the Eastern European countries, which has a very pronounced Christian base. And I'm not talking about Orthodox Christian. I'm talking about people who are committed to the Lord and to the Word of God. It's, it's unique. I remember being in Paris on one of the many occasions God has blessed us to be there. And it was in the afternoon. I had a break between... Um, ministry that morning in the in the afternoon and I turned on the television which is very interesting for a foreigner being in in France there's a lot of channels that are available for the Arabic nations but there are also some channels that were from Hungary and Ukraine and I was watching this litany of church services and I was just compelled and overwhelmed by the devotion that seemed to be apparent in these churches to the Lord. Now, they, they weren't moving in the things of the Spirit, but they were dancing all around it, it figuratively speaking. And, and we recognize that in Romania and a lot of other locations in Eastern Europe and in Ukraine, uh, there were people that were joining in regularly for our broadcast. I remember being in... Uh, in Brussels, and several occasions I had to speak at a, a very large, um, and numbers don't really matter, it's two or three is enough for the Lord, one is enough for the Lord. But this church was very large, filled with uh, African expats, Commonwealth nation people, and Pastor Pastor Jacques was the pastor there, and he we had wonderful fellowship together. I often wondered what God would do with that connection. But um, they would broadcast their services into Southeast Asia to the French-speaking peoples there. And I, I remember hearing from him how many thousands of people were tuning in from Vietnam. Uh, and so this message of uh, diverse tongues and proscuneo was when I recognized that I thought well these dear folks are kind enough to welcome me I remember going one time um, our precious sister over there drove me through a snowstorm and so many of other saints were driving through that same snowstorm to other churches this is my testimony 
But we drove through a snowstorm, and I wondered whether we were ever going to get to the church. And it was freezing in there. Oh, my gosh, the people were bundled up. Mind you, these were people that were coming from Africa, and their blood hadn't yet adjusted, I'm sure. It was cold for me as a former Yankee. But they were sitting out there in this huge facility, and the body heat was what was basically keeping them warm, plus their coats, plus their scarves, plus their toboggans. And I knew, okay, these people have heard me, uh, this message from the past, but I'm really going to speak into these churches in Southeast Asia right now. And I went after them for about 15 minutes, and the more I went after them, the more the congregation there was really getting fired up. And, of course, then when I said everything that I needed to say into, um, into those places, and, and there were others, Malaysia, Korea, uh, there, there, uh, the Philippines, people were listening um, who were French-speaking. And I don't know what all the nations, but it was interesting. But then I turned and started speaking into the countries in Africa from where they came from. And man, it just exploded that day. I don't know whether those people were responding to the Spirit because of the Spirit, and He was there, or because they were trying to fend off frostbite. But one or the other, we had a wonderful day that day. So I just know that we have had the blessing of the Lord to reach out into many, many countries. Many of those countries, we've been there multiple times. I was trying to figure out how many days in the past almost 30 years that I, just me, have spent in Western Europe. And I, I was tallying them up in just in my head. And I know I forgot many. I probably spent eight months <laughs> in Europe. I'm not kidding you weeks upon weeks upon weeks of just being there and you accumulate them all and there there they are and what about africa i was looking i don't know how many nations in africa and and uh, and other places but we've known measures of sowing the seed and god has been faithful but what's coming is beyond anything we have ever known. And it's exciting. We need to bathe this entree into, into these places in the timing of the Lord in prayer. So we, we look forward to next week. If you've not registered yet, please do so on the website. But that's the way it is and just so all those who just might be tuning in we're not charging anything we'll receive a couple two offerings during the seminar and that's it so we're not asking you register so we can wrangle money from you okay we're not asking you to register so we can charge you a fee to access i bless ministries who do that i know how expensive it is to have technical crews and have the equipment and keeping it up to date. I understand that. We just have been called to a different path. Now, maybe if we went full blast into this, we'd have a lot more to show to for it. I don't know. But I'm not making the decisions. For me, I want the best and the brightest stuff up here. 
So it's not like I'm trying to do the same old thing in the same old way. Um, this is just what God has given us to do, and we're doing what he said to do, nothing more. Um, and I remember hearing the testimony, which is well written, of uh, William Branham, who was a very powerful minister in the things of the Spirit in the, in the late 40s and 50s, and how that some Weisenheimers came to him and were saying, hey, you know, this Gordon Lindsay fellow who's been managing you, you know, we bless him. He's a good man, but there are some really heightened ways that you can expand your ministry. And he went with those guys, and pretty soon he was just unrecognizable in a lot of ways. And that can be said for a lot of people. So you, you just have to be careful to not exceed the place that the Lord has given you and to do things God's way. But, you know, we're in the timing of the Lord, and the theme of this seminar coming up is Rama, R-A-M-A-H. Some of you think, well, what in the world does that mean? I don't know that. Well, it was the base from which Samuel ministered, and, and he had Naoth beside that, which was basically whatever it was in those ancient days, a complex of housing and uh, areas that could... Uh, increase the ability to teach. Samuel established several outposts of schools or places where people could be taught about the functional, uh, relational identity of what the people of God should be. This was his ministry. It was then, years later, it was it was really embraced by David, and I believe that those efforts of Samuel influenced David and in what happened in the tabernacle, influenced David on what he understood about the scriptures, and it really helped him to be able to composite the Psalms and so many other things that he did. He relied that not enough emphasis has been placed upon the impact of this ministry of Samuel for David. Now, Saul should also have been influenced. Um, We do have indication of him encountering students, dare I say prophets, or those who were going to worship at these places. And every time, whether it was Saul or his soldiers, that they came in contact with this, they were overwhelmed, and that's using the term lightly. To one degree, Saul was so impacted by the spirit of what Samuel was doing that he laid naked before the Lord as a king. But that wasn't a lasting influence for him. And I'm not faulting Saul, I'm just reading the box score. David benefited from it. And then through periods of destruction... Solomon's the end of Solomon's reign and then going into the debacle of Rehoboam and Jeroboam and the splitting of the kingdoms and then Elijah shows up and guess what he's got the similar schools that Samuel started plus some others and whether he wanted to do it or not <laughs> and by some of his commentary it, it, I don't think I don't think I think it's fair to say that Elijah didn't tolerate fools that's a quote from um, literature. 
Uh, so don't get offended that I'm calling somebody fool. That's a quote. Um, and uh, Elisha then embraced it. And Elijah didn't have much patience for these up-and-comers either. I know, hold your peace. He said that twice, right? But they kept it going. And I think, I think the principle of sevens with uh, outposts and schools um, set the stage for the welcoming of the Manuka of God. I think you have the, the rudimentary example of this around the Sea of Galilee. And you, you also have the seven churches of Asia, which Jesus spoke to. Um, and not that, you, not that we're trying to emulate seven, well, we've got to go out and get seven. But the principles of what, what God is doing in a particular histeme or outpost visitation of the glory of God. What happened at Bethel? What happened at Gilgal, which we're going to talk about here in a minute? What happened at um, Jericho? And so forth. And, but then, beyond that, what should your individual response be to God? How can you live encountering him? Those are, you know, those two factors... The first one is definitely not part of general church nomenclature. You talk about the Spirit of the Lord being unique in a certain place. Wow, you've gone off the deep end. You talk about the cross and the histeme. Wow, you're, pl you're perjuring yourself there. You're, you're, de you're denigrating the cross of Christ. No, I'm not. I'm talking about what Jesus said. And it's right there. Oh, I can't get my hands around it. Well, take your hands off and let his hands guide you. So the idea of certain places where Jesus plainly saw in the temptation, the deposits of the glory amongst the genos, Satan offered them to Christ, which Jesus certainly referenced with the woman at the well in Samaria. The Father is not just focusing on this place or on Jerusalem, but his eyes are going all over the earth looking for places on this mountain, on this mountain, for people to be on their face before God. That's what Jesus said. Look at that, the eight or so references to proscuneo, all in that fourth chapter of John. What are you going to do with that? Ignore it? Well, obviously, the church does a pretty good job at that, but there it is. And so, the identity of a place is regularly overlooked. Now, you can't make your place into a deposit of the glory. You can, you can tap into tributaries of that, but don't, don't go haywire with it. I mean, it is what it is. Um, now, but there are certain places like Bethel which stood out. And um, you have to recognize, why did God meet at this place, of all places? Why did he say, go there? Why did Abraham establish the, in, in Beersheba the tamarisk tree? Why did he establish the oaks of Moreh? Why was he situated there? There were, there were outposts. These were 
too many degrees high places and high places as we're going to study next week weren't just in the peaks of the mountains the bible describes high places as being in every different strata of topography and and so there's a flow pattern as it were of of from the mountains the hills the groves and you don't have to you, you may not be able to distinctly identify every jot and tittle of these but don't try to make your place into something that it's not but certainly make your place what God has ordained it to be um, but the second part how do you commune with God um, what were some of the characteristics of these students that went up into these quote unquote schools well, they were playing prophetically. And they would knew how to be overwhelmed by the Spirit of God and fall down in the city or fall down on the hillside. And you don't have to fall down to be in the presence of the Lord. We don't have indication that Samuel fell down. To me, I think the falling down is either somebody being hypersensitive or God overwhelming a person as he introduces them into a new thing and as was the case with the priests at the tabernacle uh, at the temple dedication initially nobody was able to stand to minister but then eventually somebody had to stand to minister because somebody had to minister so it's a challenge for people in the spirit realm to become acclimated without becoming dead to the to the the wonder of it to take your shoe off because you're on holy ground to recognize how you and the sensitivity of the soul or the palm of the hand can walk there i think that's why uh on more than the moses occasion there was instruction for that to occur because when God initially begins to visit something, you have to begin your point of recognizing that it's not you, but it's God, but you have to become acclimated so that you can then grow in the Lord. I mean, if, 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 if the being on your face, which is important, and you should proskuneo before the Lord, but to be, as we used to call it, slain in the Spirit or being overwhelmed by the Spirit. At some point, you need to learn to function in the Spirit. And I don't mean to become some old sage that sits there and says, oh, yes, they'll grow out of it. You know what I'm saying? Um, it's, it's so important for us to recognize the truth in these things. So, the two main facets of why Samuel established these places was to make real to the populace the essential things of knowing God and knowing the place and, secondly, knowing the place where God has called you to. And, and then to recognize the timing of the Lord because this was not a be-all, end-all. Once these schools accomplished their intended task and the manuka of God was established in Jerusalem, you notice Jerusalem was not one of these places, was not one of these places. Then Solomon prayed, 
let tabernacles go forth from here. That became a perverted thing. Instead of the tabernacles influencing the nations, there was a lot of intermarriage going on, and there was a lot of demonic beings that should have been conquered and thrown out, brought back into the Valley of Hinnom and brought into the temple itself and other places. Uh, but, you know, uh, Solomon started praying that tabernacles would go forth, but also Jesus said, be a witness, make disciples, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth. So with all deference to the importance of Jerusalem and the eternal timetable and the blessing of the Jewish people, so much of the church gets so hung up on Jerusalem that they don't have any inkling that they're supposed to be establishing dwelling places, I mean dwelling places, of the Spirit of God where they're called to be. Do you know what I'm talking about here? So, um, Samuel's work was important. So today, and, and I also recognize, and, and it's difficult to pin down some of these, that each of these places seem to have a particular type of tree that becomes endemic to that location. Now, as I said, it's kind of hard to pinpoint a couple of the locations and a tree that would regularly be regarded as the signature type of foliage there. But um, it, it's, it's interesting to me that the first real place that Israel went to when they crossed Chile, Jordan, um, by the directive of the Spirit, was Gilgal. And as I mentioned on Sunday, uh, Gilgal, as important as it is to recognize that circumcision and the spiritual ramifications of that was, was what Gilgal initiated among the people, uh, it's important for us to recognize that Samuel had the people come back to Gilgal hundreds of years after that initial incursion into the land of promise. And there they would have a, a time where they would wait on the Lord for seven days, very, very similar to the Feast of Tabernacles. It did not take the place of the Feast of Tabernacles, but what the agenda for God in regard to that going forth to establish new places around the earth, and certainly in Israel, uh, that, that was an important indicator for Gilgal above any of the other places. No other place had that same kind of viewpoint. So when Saul was to be anointed, as, uh, to be established as a king, the kingdom be renewed, Samuel says, go to Gilgal. And um, as I mentioned on Sunday, um, current archaeological digs, that are happening all throughout that region, but particularly in Gilgal, indicate that Gilgal was a place that, among any other things that it was known for, was a place for fig production, domesticated 
varieties, hybrid figs, were produced there and seemingly in abundance. That's significant. That's an archaeological fact. It's a fact, just the facts, ma'am. And so what does the fig represent? Well, let's first talk about these trees. Recently, we have studied together over the past year and a half or so about how the trees of righteousness have really an impact as intercessors. And we talked about how the tree receives and processes impurities, carbon uh, dioxide through its leaves. It then, if it's functioning properly, convert that into a sweet type of energy. And that energy then is the fuel for root growth, for leaf growth, for fruit growth. And then... Um, as that cycle going from the reception of these leaves goes all the way down and then up through again, then moisture is released back through the leaves into the atmosphere. We also put forward that current studies in the Amazon rainforest and in the Congolese rainforest, and if they could get into some of the other rainforests, I'm sure the same thing would happen. They recognize that the former rain is regularly indicated and dictated by the trees themselves. This is a scientific fact. It, it's, it's right now research, and you can look at the scientific journals and see that this is happening. But then when the, when the latter rain comes at the time of the harvest, that is largely generated by the oceans or the rivers, water sources that just in themselves begin to come, which is, again, we'll talk about this next Wednesday night during the seminar. Um, that is the type of rain that we are supposed to be, um, we are supposed to be asking God for. The Sha'al is the latter rain, and, and it's up to him to bring it, but that's during the time of leading into harvest, which I think we're at right now. Abram set up his, his main, in later life, uh, in the plains of Moray, the, the, um, uh, the oaks of Moray, and Moray represents the, the rain system. We'll talk about that next Wednesday. I don't need to teach on it now. But we know that trees are important. So I, I suggest that with what each tree, which we know, what we know, we're not trying to stretch things, what we know of specific trees in the Bible, that when God is asking us to be a tree of righteousness in alignment with what the pomegranate represents, or what the palm tree represents, or what the almond tree represents, or here what the fig represents, or what the vine, which is not a tree, but what the vine represents, that we use that same mindset of the process. God is moving right now on behalf of the, the release of communing with him to gain insight of his will and his purpose 
and what our what our mindset should be. I'm just speaking about this. And that aligns itself with the fig. So how do I process all the things that are going on? Perhaps the raw that's there in the air, carbon dioxide would be that. Or perhaps the tobe, which would be the pure oxygen and, and the flow from God's throne. How do I process that? How do I assimilate that? How do I grow in regard to that to produce fruit that will help others to grow? And those leaves then uh, could be for the healing of the genos. And then how does that contribute to the, the reins of the spirit as the sowing is going forth? This is an important factor for intercessors. And Gilgal not just because of the figs, even though we're going to focus on that. But Gilgal really was the place where you were supposed to come and let the flesh be cut away so that you're not spiritually stiff-necked, so that you're willing to hear from God and to become what he wants, to go with what the Spirit would say. Figs represent this in the Scripture over and over again. And we were talking last night in a Saints Network pastors meeting about how perhaps uh, it is clear to say that Gilgal helps us to be able to glean the voice of God in the midst of Tob and Ra. And, you know, I know that there are, and we're going to need that. We're going to need that. There are some people who suggest that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was actually a fig tree because Adam and Eve stitched fig leaves. I don't believe that. I think that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was just what it says, tobe and raw, and that the enemy, it was a sign of the enemy rebellion that God left there as a sign for us. We're not ignorant of his devices. Don't touch it. Don't go near it. And, and I think that once... Adam and Eve disobeyed, they recognized that they had done something really bad. Not just in disobeying God, which is the worst thing of all, the essential thing of all, but it immediately had ramifications. And so they probably went to the place where they often met with God under a fig tree, and they felt nothing. And so they thought, I wasn't there, but they thought, we'll we, we don't feel his covering. So the next best thing would be for us to bring the leaves, which we know are essential for processing what God wants to do, and cover ourselves with them. It makes sense to me. Um, the figs. And the figs, really, throughout biblical history, represented people who would hear from God and be able to say this is the essence of where God wants us to go. This is the essence of having receiving that burden and that inclination. It's essential that this is a beginning point, which is the problem that Israel had when they went into the days of the judges. Think about this. Moses stood at the rock the second time God told him to speak from the right hand of the throne into the rock. Instead, he smote the rock and he spoke negative things. 
that was the doorstep going into the land of promise. The people of uh, 40 years earlier sent spies into the land. Uh, 12 spies. They come back and uh, they've got grapes, they've got figs, and they have pomegranates. Look it up for yourself. And the large portion of them said, we can't go in here, we can't do this. We're The people in the land are giants. There are Amalekites, there are Jebusites around. We, we can't do it. Jacob, uh, 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 Joshua and Caleb said, we can go. So even at the, the first blush of that land coming out of Egypt, there was a large percentage that were naysayers, and they viewed things improperly. They come into the time of the judges, and as soon as Solomon, uh, as soon as Joshua died, and those who walked with Joshua, they were doing what was right in their own eyes, certainly weren't going after what God wanted them to do. The angel comes up from Gilgal of all places and said, what are you people doing? You should be hearing what God says. You should be sensitive to him. You should be going and taking, driving out the ites as you were commanded to, and then expanding the kingdom. And the place of weeping was there. All the people wept. But as soon as the tears were dried, they went back into what they, for hundreds of years, just doing what was right in their own eyes. So Samuel says, let's go and establish the kingdom. Where does he say to go? Gilgal. A place where they should hear from God. Which I firmly believe, from archaeology, uh, that this was a place known for figs. So let's just touch on a couple things about figs. Uh, it, it's interesting that Jesus, when Philip spoke to Nathaniel, and Nathaniel comes to Jesus. Jesus said, I saw you sitting under the fig tree. Behold, an Israelite in whom there is what? No guile. Why did Jesus say that? Why did he say that? Why the fig? Why guile? Well, it falls right in line with what we've just been saying, it doesn't it? Somehow, Nathaniel wanted the pure and the true. He didn't want nonsense. He didn't want false claims. He didn't want charlatans. He wanted the real. And for Jesus, no guile, you look it up, meant this guy did not want to be deceived. He did not want to fall for a banana in the tailpipe of his chariot. He didn't want the raw. He wanted what God wanted. And in that day, as we've said before in the past, there was in the mindset of the Jewish people that the fig tree was a place of contemplation, a place where you could meet with God and gain insight. And, um, you know, so often in the biblical narrative in the Old Testament, people would sit under their fig near their vines. Those were often put together. They were supposed to be communing with God. Not that there was any magical property to the fig, but nature proclaims the glory of God. What that fig tree represented is something that we need. How is it different from the almond tree? Well, the almond tree, look, if you're waiting for the almond tree to get your burden, 
you've swung and missed a few times. The golden sombrero is waiting for you when you come to bat the last time. This was people that were already moving forward. When Aaron's bod, bod, rod bod, I don't think his bod budded, that would have been, that's an apocryphal story. Probably the Catholics have it in their Bible. But Aaron's rod budded, it was, okay, we got to get rid of this murmuring, which destroyed the people in the wilderness. What was murmuring? It was the enemy again. Should we believe God or should we believe the enemy? Should we believe our own carnal selves? Well, we'll just spew out murmuring. Well, it, it killed them. And Aaron's rod was saying there's, there's one leader here, and wisdom is going to be granted there. That's why Bethel meant you're already meeting with God. You're a covenant person, Jacob. Here's this ladder. Look up to heaven and gain the directive of Yahweh, God's plan. You need to be following meticulously that plan. But he was already a covenant partner. Gilgal represents the inception of that burden of pathway. So there's the difference there. So here's An- here's Nathaniel. Israelite, no guile. It was aligned with that fig tree. Also, and that was in, for those who, you, you're going to write this down. I don't have an outline for you. We're studying here on Wednesdays. Um, the curse of the fig tree. Um was well let's let's we're going to lump mark 11 12 through 14 and luke 13 verses 6 through 11 okay we're going to lump those um let's talk about luke 13 6 to 11 here's this discussion you can look at this we're running out of time i've given you the passage you look it up if i'm not saying what it says you write me and i'll repent um Jesus talking about the guy who has a fig tree, it's not producing fruit. And Jesus says, you need to get rid of this thing. And the guy says, um, I'm going to dung it. I've dung it. I've fertilized it for three years. And it's still not going to produce fruit. There's the discussion. Three years is brought in. Why was that? Because on the Mount of Olives, Olivet, um, there was... There were there were lots of locations, but there were three main ones. There was the Mount of Olives with the Garden of Gethsemane. There was Bethphage, and there was Bethany. Right in the center was Bethphage, which was the main place where the Sanhedrin were housed. They also had a functionary place in the temple, but this was their abode. This was where they got together and dictated strategy and what was holy and what was not holy. And it, the, the place Bethphage was the place of um, unripened figs. That's what it means. Why would this place be there? We've talked about this some in the past. But fig trees produced in two major ways, but one third way. The first was the initial harvest of figs, which was the unripe figs. Now, largely, this was not the main harvest. You, you recognize the timing of the entire harvest season, and you gleaned what you could from that first harvest. And the figs, you had to deal with them differently, but it, it took wisdom 
but you should first of all know what to do during that time frame and 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 deal with it because the main harvest was coming in the fall and that was the main harvester fixed but Bethphage represented this first harvest now there was a third and it's only mentioned once in scripture and it's uh, curiously in revelation 6:13 what was that passage again revelation 6:13 and here it's when the sixth seal is open and it says the stars from heaven many of them fell as untimely figs this is olunthos there's a greek city known by that name and it really indicated figs that were basically left over from the main harvest in the fall that somehow hid and but yet they they abode throughout the winter season and they were of no use to anybody they had missed their harvest which i think speaks about what the demonic is i think this speaks about the demonic beings that were originally created to flow in the seasons of the Lord. And they, when Jesus beheld Satan fall as lightning, that's later in the process of voice thunders, lightnings, earthquakes, right? And these beings that re rebelled, many of them are in places in the heavens. They are. Wormwood is based there. It, it's, it's amazing to read this in Scripture, but it's there. And those ones that were hanging on to the lineage of the last visitation of God's will from the throne that they participated in, and they, they utilized that. That's the way the enemy kingdom functions on earth. They don't have anything fresh, so they just keep using their creative abilities, uh, uh, their outposts and the strongholds, now, we've studied this in the past, uh, but but there you have that third, this olonthos. But it's about figs and hearing from God and gaining your mandate. So Bethpage, where the Sanhedrin hung out, right there in between the Mount of Olives and Bethany. You'll hear more about this next week, but remember this now. Represented the Sanhedrin. And so Jesus... Coming from Bethany, he he. Uh, at one point, he speaks about the three years of of uh, dunging, fertilizing. Seems to me that Jesus had been ministering for three years publicly. He had been trying to get this word through, but the Jewish leaders largely would not accept, and it was time for the axe to be laid to them. That's what this means, particularly the fig tree. Now, let's read some scriptures so we can keep the purists happy. I'm giving you where these scriptures are. You should just have them, but here we go. Mark 11, we're going to read this one, verses 12 through 14. And on the morrow, when they were come from Bethany, Jesus was hungry. And he saw a fig tree afar off having leaves, he came, if haply he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. For the time of the main fig harvest was not yet. And Jesus answered and said, No man eat fruit of you hereafter forever. 
And his disciples heard it. Now there's another passage that says, hey, it's not time for the figs yet. Why did you do that? Well, obviously he was probably coming to that place, Bethphage, where the Sanhedrin were based. He's left Bethany. He's heading toward Jerusalem. He has to be there. I mean, if I drive from Dallas to Fort Worth, I'm going through Grand Prairie, whether I want to or not. I'm going. I don't know what's so grand about Grand Prairie, but I have to go through it. And so he's there. He sees this fig tree. It's got leaves on it, which the other trees at this point would have not had leaves coming for the for the uh, toward the end uh, of the main harvest. It was just beginning to grow, but this one has a full sprouting of leaves, and he's really indicating that the leadership of the mindset of the Sanhedrin had resisted his message. They had the opportunity to to welcome the Son of God, to welcome the Messiah, and they did not facilitate that. And that was a that was cursed. So that's the second time Jesus spoke about a fig tree being not there. Now there was one other reference uh, when they when they're heading toward Jerusalem for the fi- for the uh, a triumphal entry. Um, they're they're going along. And Jesus says, go to this other city right by where we are. And he doesn't specifically say Bethpage, but it has to be that. And he says, you'll find a colt tied that no one's ridden on. That's for him to ride in. And it again is saying, these people were unwilling to give this to me. They were unwilling to prepare it themselves. They were unwilling to accept the coming of the Son of God, but that's where they got it, this place of the figs. Do you see that? Isn't that interesting? I, I just think that's, that's, that's fascinating. And that's Mark 11, 1 and 2. So, the figs, and we are out of time. The figs in Gilgal. It, it, it really has to do with partnering with God in making a place for people to not just feel his presence, as wonderful as that is, not just to get the, the goosebumps and the spine tingles when great music is played, not even to be just around a spiritual visitation, but look, we've been working at this enough to know the thousands of people that we've seen God move upon, you've got to go from there and say, I am going to commit myself to this as a walk, not just to search out visitations, but to become what he wants me to be and to welcome the presence of God and to partner with him, to seasonally hear from him, to discern between Tob and Ra, to cut away anything in my life that would hinder me from what God is saying today. And a lot of that may be like unleavened bread. Don't bring the leaven of the past. Don't bring the flesh of the past. Don't bring 
the way you've always done things from the past. If you do, when God's going to do a certain work, and if that part of you is going to hinder it, God's going to want to cut that away. Why? So that you can then go into the next terrain of service and receiving the burden from him so that in that season, you're, you're walking according to what the burden of the Lord is. Because if you don't have that, Gilgal is a place of beginnings. If you don't have that, why go to Bethel? If you don't have that, why go to Jerusalem even? If you don't have that, why go to Jericho? You see what I'm saying? This is the point of beginnings. And whether you believe the archaeological dig that recognizes that Gilgal was a domesticated fig um, uh, area, what did Gilgal represent as a point of beginnings? What did it represent by being circumcised? In, in the entrance to the new land where you're vulnerable before you go in. What did it represent with Samuel saying, let's renew the kingdom there? What does it mean by Samuel saying, you go to Gilgal, you know the drill, Saul, you wait for the seven days, and when that process is complete with the people, you be there. Why wasn't Samuel there for those seven days? Because at some point, the people don't need the big daddy there. Oh, if you were just here, I could have done it. Why weren't you here? At some point, you got to stand on your own. And boy, were they standing, huh? Running into, hiding the caves, hiding in the bushes, escaping on a paddle boat across, to, uh, across the Jordan. They were ski-daddling. At the end, Saul had 600, which is still a good number, but it's not a number that would compare to the thousands of the Philistines that were gathered. That's what Samuel was aiming for. Saul did a pretty good job waiting those seven days. He got antsy. He got judged for it. See, when you become a king, you're held to a higher standard, whether you like it or not. To whom much is given, much is required. Seems I read that somewhere. But Gilgal was the place of beginnings. Whether you believe it's aligned with the figs or not, I don't care. What we studied about the figs regarding Bethphage, that's an undeniable slice of scripture, so you can't do anything with that. That's there. So, where are we this week? This is a fast that I think aligns with Gilgal. We, we today are participating on the second day of this fast. Our congregation in Dallas is going to be meeting tonight at 6, as many as can be here. And we're going to be praying. We're, we're offering a, a, what, what we would call, well, a total fast sometimes people think is nothing. I'm saying we need liquids. And unless God told me in 100 degree weather in Texas to not drink water, I'm not going to tell my people to do that, Okay. So stay lubricated, stay hydrated, and um, there's a lot of things you can drink. Water's good, but we're coming to pray. We hope you're doing this too, but we want to come into this place next week 
where we're talking about this principle, and we'll expand more upon it, because this is what we're supposed to be doing in Brazil. This is what we're supposed to be doing in South America. This is what we're supposed to be continuing in Western Europe. This is what we're supposed to be doing in equatorial Africa. This is what we're supposed to be doing in the other places God is opening and has opened. And it's, it's an odd ministry. A nematocos group of people dealing with the meat of the Lord. And it, it's a challenge to embrace this. Because like Ichabod, um, you can, you're, you're dealing with a lot of people in the church that just want action and not direction from the Spirit. And the glory is not going to abide that. Issachar knew what Israel ought to do. They heard from God. So whether it's Rama or Issachar, it's, it's an odd thing for us. Samuel was cut off from his parents. So were we. And there, there's, a, there's a lot of that. As we reach out to others, there's a, there's a, a solitude that's part of walking in this prophetic act. The same with Elijah. The same with Elijah. Can I first go say goodbye to my dad? Do what you want to do. I'm going on. Can you do that? We did that initially. Brother, I, as the old preacher would say, believe you me, it's hard today. We've got to obey God and embrace our mission. And and there are going to be groups that spring up because of the will of God, but largely because you pioneered in that area. You did the spiritual warfare, the tactical warfare. This is not from a prideful standpoint. But you're going to see them grow up, and as the Pino song says, they're not going to know who you are. They're not going to recognize you from Jack Spratt. Can you handle that? point of lack of notoriety oh the enemy will be right there you know you start something and then you got to go back to Gilgal which is another start place I don't know we're way past time now I didn't need to tell some of you that did I, I wonder how much longer he's going to go um, let's continue in this time of fast Let's recognize that maybe we as trees of righteousness are functioning as the fig this week. You think you can do that? Can you as the forerunner receive those hard to process figs? But they can be processed. Strong neat belongs to people who are willing to take that on. That's what leadership should be. That's what the Sanhedrin should have been. It makes the way for the next harvest, the biggest harvest. But we got to have it all. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we're dealing with the enemy, who's that Alunthos, Revelation 6.13, those of you who weren't paying attention or skipped ahead some way. 
that's going to fall at that sixth seal. But how that all is going to pan out, I don't know. Will we, we be around for that? That's up to God. We're making the stage for it. Um, we're contributing toward that progression. How's that? But let's, let's pray this week. May God be with you. And look forward to next week. Look forward, I think, Shay, when she teaches in her session, she's going to be talking about some of this. And you need to remember what we've said about the figs and about Beth Phage and whether that represents knob or not. Shay will clarify all of that next week. About so many other things. I'm looking forward to Monica when she speaks in a, in a new type of a role on that Thursday night. Um, calling people to the altar. This is going to be interesting for all of us. I, I'm excited about the way God's going to be moving in many different ways. But the main point is we need to pray. And we're fasting this week. I think this week is a fast commensurate with a, a fig type. You may want to go get yourself some figs. Um, fig Newtons, maybe. <laughs> Oh, there's too many sugars in that. I can't eat that. You know, the, the, the preservatives are in there. I'm not suggesting eating Fig Newtons. Get some real figs. Organic. God bless you all. Those in Dallas will see you tonight. The rest of you, we're praying for you. Thankful to be partnering with you. God bless you all. Goodbye.